Hey, Winged fans. This is Michael Turksani here. We've got some terrible audio coming up on this podcast, but Adam and I wanted to share it with you anyway. So we hope the content speaks for itself, but we sincerely apologize for the sound. Digital.com. Welcome back. Who do we have? Ron Crawl. Chris O'Neill. Uh, Batman. No, not a Mitchell. <laughs> Batman. Michael Tursani. All right. I guess I'm Superman then. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> All right. Adam Mitchell, welcome. Thanks, guys. That's, I gotta, this is totally worth the drive here. This is way better than doing this over the phone. There's, there's so much cool tech sitting in front of We love that plug. Thank you. That we're worth the drive. Don't do it. Yeah, drive here. Yeah. Okay, Don't follow good. Apple Maps. Yeah. Apparently Apple's putting us in the middle of down to your airport or something, so that's not good. Um, well, yeah, well, thanks for coming. Um, we've uh, cooked up something really good. We had uh, some good talk in the boardroom before we got in on, on this, so we think she's better get in the podcast in rather than later. Um, why don't we just start with some intros? Um, just tell everybody kind of, if they don't already know, kind of what you guys are about and your background and give us a bit of history. And Sure. Um, we're... Uh maybe a mid-sized brokerage now. So we have about 60 people in Whitby. Um, we have one location. Um, we've been um, growing pretty quick. Uh, we were two people in 2010. Um, we grew one policy at a time, uh, no acquisitions, one, one person, one policy, one customer as we, as we went. We're mostly personal lines, probably 90%. Uh, so um, we have a small life division and a small uh, commercial division. Um, most of our business comes to us from uh, online and Google uh, searches, as a couple other pieces, but uh, we're transacting most everything over the phone um, through that team in, in Whitby. Inbound. Inbound marketing, yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, I know that um, you've, uh, you've certainly been someone that uh, has been out in the industry talking a lot about you know success, obviously coming in, into the space over the last, was it? 10 years, close to 10 years. Yeah, I came into it in 2009. I, I, I bought the little brokerage in 2010 off of my, my father's estate. So I never actually got to work with family in this family business. It was a, a handoff uh, after he passed away. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty vocal and out there and sort of sharing openly on this, this journey and what we're doing. Um, sorry, sorry for your loss, but I'm, uh, I'm sure you'd be really proud about where you've been able to take the business. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of the inbound and some of the digital stuff, I and mean, that's really what we wanted to sort of focus on today. Obviously, Cruise Digital um, tries to help other brokers and, and even MGAs and some carriers sort of adapt to the changes that are going on in the landscape and connect to um, to their customers in ways that they probably haven't been used to connecting in the past. And I think you've really been someone that uh, we certainly uh, we know talking to a lot of people that know of your success in this area. So. I guess we just wanted to sort of start off with like, what do you, what do you see as sort of the big trends right now, and what is your view of kind of the broker over the next five years? Let's say, what is you know, in terms of digital and what's going on? 
Sure. I, I, I guess the biggest trend is probably the, the noise. And so the number of people talking about the, the, the word digital or you slap on this tool or this widget or this thing and, you know, magic fairy dust, you're, you're all better as a modern business. Um, I think people throw out the word AI and blockchain and, you know, um, a, a lot of these sort of e-commerce engines we can, we can talk a bit about more. Um, what I, what I, I'll spin it a bit of saying what I don't think it's talked about enough is, is top of funnel. Uh, where the heck are we going to get all these opportunities to try and use our fun widgets on and uh, the effectiveness? So what is the actual conversion rate of it? Mm-hmm. And if we talk about those two, then those boil out into a, an acquisition cost. Um, and I, I don't hear that talk from anybody that's selling the, the widgets um, or even the, the directs that are coming out with new competitors and things. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Robin, maybe you can speak to a little bit about this because, you know, not to not to plug us, but I think it, it sort of ties into one of the models that we've been building um, we've been using for about a year now, which is sort of a product by product model where um, looking at understanding uh, how to measure your digital investment. So yeah, I, I think it's uh, understanding, first of all, that there is this need to, to measure and have some kind of a, a framework, right? So when you do talk about the cost of acquisition, you know, that's sort of this big, um, you know, white page and, and you're not understanding, thinking, oh, we'll just build it, they'll come. But mm-hmm. there's an investment needed. And when you think about the investment, what's coming out of the other end? So how do you right-size that investment? What are some of the decisions that you need to make and figure out how do you start driving those leads so that you are looking at from looking at it from a return perspective? And what's the return? Not all these investments guarantee returns. So Absolutely. how do we measure along the way and be accountable for what it is? And it's okay to have your returns be some education and you're, you're investing in this thing to learn, it's an experiment, but you, then you agree to put it down. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I think we had a conversation recently where we were asked, you know, what, what is a risk going into, you know, this, this digital journey? And one of, our, one of the things we said the risk is if you're expecting that you're going to be able to, you know, embark on this journey and within two months, three months, you know, you just turn the switch and suddenly everything's working, that's going to be your risk because that's not how it happens, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's the test and learn phase and you need to be open to that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly what to replace it with, but I almost wonder if we're served better by putting down the word digital. It, it ends up be meaning so many different things mm-hmm. to so many people, and it becomes this all-encompassing word that can describe, you know, like maybe we need to describe it as, as efficiency or, or, you know, effectiveness or, or trackability or any of these things. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I, it does bother me a bit, or it sort of twinges when you think, somebody's going to throw this little digital tool or something onto their site or their business and you expect it to somehow bring a bunch more customers or something else. And um, I think it would be good for the industry to talk a bunch about when you're putting these things up, are they, are they a cost-cutting measure? As so many of them seem to be about efficiency and cost-cutting and, not, and, and there being that cost-cutting tool that when you look at it like that, gets hung out as if it is a new sales thing and it's a new better mousetrap and the world's going to beat a path to your door. It's, we're in way too mature of an industry for that. The competition is fierce. It's well, you know, uh, 
I'm glad you brought that up, uh, <clears throat> the competition part, because there's it's not a, a mistake or a coincidence that you have got the um, the uh, attention of of your your clients. So I'd like to hear you talk about you know you know the demographic that you have attracted. Can you describe like you have um, uh, you know sort of a customer base that you know that is very specific. Like you've gone out there and you've you've sort of uh, decided who it is that you're 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 going after. You target that um, and you you go after. Tell tell me about your, your customer base because at the end of this, whether we're talking about efficiency or whatever, what's at the end of it is being able to to attract and look after customers. Yeah, I, I think I need to admit up front that we have what we have happened onto right, and and as we got a little bit of success, we pushed harder on that point. And, we didn't, so we have a young client base, but I, I can't tell you that eight years ago we set out to go get a young client base. I think the thing to call a spade a spade is we, you'll catch whatever fish are in the pond you're fishing. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to go network at a church or a BNI group or whatnot, you're going to get a distilled version of the age and makeup of those groups. Our particular strength at the moment is collecting clients off of Google. Now, I don't know this for fact, but you know we have some video in this podcast we can string together. I can send some screenshots of what our actual demographics on sure. our website are yeah. and how they end up matching the demographics in our book. Because our number one sales tool for leads is our website and, and getting things into there. So inevitably, you convert from the website and it turns to be the same demographic. So when we think back at that or debate a bit of it, does it make sense that so once that, um, our most common client when we looked a year or two ago was a 27 year old male. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's very different than the average 50, 60, 70 year old broker that's got a well-seasoned book. You know, it's made up of, uh, you know, 50 year olds, 60 year olds, and you know, they have many assets. They're very stable. They're not needy. They pay their bills. A 27 year old in today's economy is, you know, struggling to get by, probably can't come close to buying a house yet. You know, juggling between bills, trying to get promoted, trying to get a job. Yeah. Um, now, on the upside, the lifetime value of that person is going to be 10x the 60-year-old that's now starting to downsize and get rid of things, kids moving out. Um, so we ended up with those because we were really good at marketing on on Google and a couple other sources where they were. Yeah. And and I think one of the things you kind of like the uh, what you mentioned earlier about like a tool doesn't sort of solve your strategic problem. That's definitely one of the recurring themes. I think for this industry in particular that we see a lot, and we use that line actually when we talk to brokers because they, they tend to pick tools in place of a strategy, assuming the tool's going to be there. Whether it's any any one of these marketing tools, it could be a back-end email thing, it could be a, a chatbot, it could be, in some cases, these these things do more harm than good if you're not actually going to, you know, like, a chatbot, you're not going to actually go down the road to train it properly and put the time into it. And I've seen a number of examples from sizable organizations that are using this stuff. And you put on there, you know, can I get a quote for a commercial lines policy? And it's like, we don't do that. And it's like, well, I know you do because you can see it on your website, but they haven't gone through that process. So it's almost, I agree with you, it's almost like reining it in a little bit and, and getting a little bit more diligent around the word digital, but also sort of, I think, coming back to a strategy. So maybe you can talk a little bit about like, what it, in your view, what does it take for some of these, maybe maybe not the new guys that are coming in and trying to grow from, from what, what you did, where you're, you're starting to go there from the beginning, but if you're already there, 
you're sort of mature and you've got that next book. What does it take to move into digital? Because as you know, these, they're starting kind of with a big legacy environment. And how do they how do they make that mental and, and uh, physical change? Yeah, there's so many. I think discipline's a really good word for it. And so that to that chatbot point of knowing when to play with it, experiment, see what's happening, and then make a decision based on what happened. Mm-hmm. So they get a log of all those chats, right? And I, I would hope that that broker you tried it with would have looked at that and said, oh darn, we really just disappointed that prospect. How can I give it another answer or take down the chatbot so that if I'm not willing to retrain it, um, right. you know, that's not the treatment I wanted that prospect or customer to have. Um, so the, the where do you start point? Um, in the end of the day, 98% of our business starts online with somebody finding us and putting their hand up. I, I'm a firm believer that consumers today like to do their own research, become educated, look around online. And then at least with insurance, they're, they're transacting with a person. Um, and so there's, there's some sales success for having a person get on that quickly and well-trained and be sort of charismatic and sales focused. Um, there's also this weird industry we live in with insurance where we don't want to sell every person that wants to buy. Sure. Right. And this has got to be one of the only industries that's like that yeah. where somebody knocks on your door and says, can I buy that widget? And you say, no, 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 thank you. You live in the wrong city. Um, and yeah, you, uh, you drove a little too fast. Yeah. Um, which is silly, but it's, it's the world we live in with the certain regulations. But you, you asked where to start. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in you, you need to, um, build specialists, um, or, you know, specialized talent. We chose to do it by dividing the office between sales and service and, and admin. There's, there's marketing and finance things, but, um, when somebody comes in, they hopefully had a well-trained, ready team of sales specialists ready to evaluate their needs and, and sell. Mm-hmm. And, and I say the word sell a number of times to emphasize how bad the industry is as at sales. We, we generally just take orders. The government already sold the product or the bank sold the product and people need this thing. They can walk in the door knowing what they need. And brokers, you know, instead of seizing that moment, will often uh, say, okay, well, you think about it and give me a call back if you want. I want to be really Canadian and not too pushy and I don't want to. And I'm not sure that's even the relationship the customer wants. Right. Um, so how do you get a sales team ready for that? Um, and I think it's getting clear that I need to be giving them opportunities or they need to get opportunities. You probably want to track and manage that through some lead management software um, that can be as simple as an Excel sheet on the early days, but be disciplined on, here's my four leads this week, what were the results, what did I do in action them? Um, you need to get opportunities somewhere, somehow, you need a strategy on how that's going to work. Um, and. That's probably the, the first one of sort of lather, rinse, repeat of how do you make those more efficient? So I, I think outsourcing the lead generation to uh, um, aggregators or other pieces of few in the market, you can use that as a, as a sparring partner to train your sales team, right? Right. And once you have a sales team trained and ready, then you can take your focus and, and train your marketing team generate. or engines to generate your own leads yeah. and, and get off of that, um, you know, more expensive way. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think you hit on, on a number of really good I, I, ideas there for for any listeners that are kind of in this situation where they're really on that tipping point. You know, we, we see 
probably a variety, and I know in the order you, you talked about kind of percentage bases of different types of players out there, maybe you can talk, kind of go through that again. But um, we can, we're seeing more and more where people are looking to make more strategic moves. So they're sort of, they've dabbled in this, they've spent money, they might think they're digital beginners, but they're really just sort of dabbling around a little bit, and then they've said, okay, you know what, let's rein this in and build a strategy. That's where we come in with, with trying a, with our roadmap product to sort of try to get them in a mode where they're they're um, they're forcing themselves to do some education, like right up to the principles, and then sitting back and saying, "Great, you know, this is more like an eighteen to twenty-four month process for us to really move into this um, product by product, etc." But maybe you could kind of classify what you're seeing in terms of the mix of brokers that are out there, and you at the beginning you mentioned noise and how that's probably. Uh, making it difficult for them to sort of see, yeah, see the right, right approach. Yeah. So the the numbers you're talking about, um, like I should throw the disclosure. It's complete just <laughs> conjecture. Sure. Uh, but it's just a gut feeling on what's happening out there from talking to partners and some things. Um, you know, and I, I think I described a pie chart that has three wedges um, or mostly three wedges. So each wedge being maybe 32%. And let's say the first 32%, um, are completely in the dark. You, you get the image of the um, you know bird head in the sand, not really seeing any of the the landscape or what's happening. So they don't know the world's changing or anything's moving. They're they're happy making their their living, their profit, their their angle. Um, and let's take the second category, thirty two percent, of saying that okay, they're they're feeling like they're going to change and they're ready to adopt you know quote unquote digital and modernize their business. But they don't have an ability or context to tell the difference between the, the snake oil and the real goods, and you know which are these are good vendors and helping me, and which are just you know reselling stuff that isn't going to work and not telling me the whole story to guide me through this. And then I, I feel like there's another section of the third part of the pie, thirty-two percent, that might be. Um, People that are starting to get it and they have sort of one hand on their stack of chips saying, I'm going to get out of this tournament and cash out, I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And a, another hand saying, yeah, I really should invest and double down and modernize my business to stay relevant for the next decade. Um, and you've seen a ton of M&A out there for people deciding on the out. You've seen a lot of investment of people starting to catch up and, and do some, some cool modern things. And that probably leaves, you know, 4% of the entire industry, both on broker and vendor side, that probably actually can see the matrix and you feel like they know what's going on, what's happening, and wow. getting honest, transparent talk. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Chris, what, I mean, if you said, like, how many times um, have you heard from from people that you're calling down that um, them are too busy or they're... You know, there's there's lots of uh, lots of too busy, and, and we, we we certainly understand like everybody everybody's busy. Like, sure. and that's 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 the case. Um, the urgency that, of course, we feel in, in in order to attract and grow the urgency of of, of um, uh, you know investing in some of these um, either you know text with that sort of overlay of strategy so important right now as uh, the industry is changing and the, de- and the demographic is changing so rapidly um, it, 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 we have a lot we, we feel a lot of urgency in this marketplace to kind of 
make, make that change. So um, I think the 32% that, uh, that Adam was just mentioning, that is sort of like, you know, we, we, we're there. We're, if, if, if you're out there and you're part of that 32% that is recognizing the, the need to change and, and what to do, I think one of the things that, that we sort of find often, as, as Mike, you were mentioning, the people that have tried some things, tried some tech, tried some digital experimentation, maybe they're spending some money in one area or another, but there's no real, um, you know, sort of evaluation of cost per acquisition. There's no real sort of strategy that's in place. Those are the ones that I think are most likely to be successful with a uh, with a strategic approach to it, and that's where you know Adam was saying before. Well, you know what we kind of happened onto this thing, but the difference was he happened onto something, and then he doubled down. Then he sort of went into that area and said, "Where can I take that particular sort of demographic that that seems to be interested in what we have, and how do I get more of that?" Yeah, whereas then I think, you know, whereas another thing that I brought up was that very few of the digital beginners or the people that are spending some money and have a little bit of tech in place. And, and these aren't small brokers, by the way. These are these are people that are you know, equally your size and bigger, right? That that are sitting there and they're trying some stuff and to your point, they're they're the ones that you can you can see saying, Okay, you know what, this isn't working, but obviously it's working for other people. <laughs> so they've kind of said, How do we make this more strategic, you know. Do you think one of the things you brought up, Adam, and we can get back to the sort of too busy thing because I know you have a good reference there. But you brought up sales, service, and admin, and and sort of the change, you know, the changes inside the company. I think you know one of the advantages of, of the lens that we get to see is a variety of verticals. We tend to work with com- with most verticals that are undergoing a, a transformation. Not that it, not that every vertical isn't, but you know, tech is probably the smallest vertical we play in. Um, we play in manufacturing, we're playing in uh, finance and credit unions, we're playing in insurance, and a lot of places where those industries are kind of having to make a lot of changes to, to, to react to the products and services that are changing in their markets. But the ones that are having a lot of success, they're not just doing the front end, which is huge, what you said around having the ability to measure and all that. But a big piece of what you said was, well, actually, you need to be really uh, aware of, of that that handoff point to sales and what are you doing inside your business? Because I think in, in this market, people view digital as quote and bind online. Basically, we don't want to talk to anybody and put up a self-service portal, but that's like the the big theme that we see out there. It's not, well, no, hold on a second, like get a lead and, and change the inside of your organization as well, because then you'll, you're going to be able to sales and serve that person, you know, differently, more efficiently. So can you talk a bit about how you've had to change the inside of the company to also adapt? Yeah, um, I, I think I should admit that we were two people in 2010. So it wasn't as much of a change. It was, like it was a build, right? And it was, you're just looking forward in a blank slate. Now, you know, the big companies that you can't downplay how difficult change management is and the cost of bringing people along, but they shouldn't whinge too long because they also have the cash and the momentum and, you know, a name and that the phone will get picked up. So the brand new startups don't have it easy either. They don't have change management, but they also don't have the cash flow or momentum to try and change from. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which path is easier or better. I think they're both difficult with different journeys. Um, 
we've had to change a bunch and, and it's, I think it's being disciplined to the data and putting things down. So we've had uh, quote and bind online uh, a couple different experiments, uh, one with uh, economical, uh, feels like five, eight years ago, um, for auto back then and put it down. We had a quote and bind for commercial with UBiz and the launch with that with Gore and put it down. We had a chatbot on our site, we put it down. We had online quoting on our site, we put it down. And all of these things would be the, you know, ultimate place to get to for so many people that are starting to talk about it now. And it's like, yeah, well, here's our bag of used stuff, you can have it. Sure. And the reason for each of those was um, a person outsold all of these things or outserviced or outexperienced. And so it was just calling a spade a spade that it wasn't here yet. And I think our industry gets drunk on the idea of what insurance geeks want, myself included. Um, and what we think is cool, not stopping to ask what the customer wants. You know, there's a, there's a pretty big company out there, I, I won't name names, but it, it rhymes with Bonnet. And, you know, they try to be really efficient and, and uh, you know, direct through to consumer, click to buy, and everything was going to be slick. Well, they have a pretty big call center attached to it now. Yes. Right? And isn't that amazing that the newest cutting-edge tech is a phone call getting picked up on the first ring by a human? Yeah. Like, how's that for insure tech digital? Like, and I guess we can still say it's voice over IP. Or maybe we attach yeah. a recording. It's, like, it's, it's the intersection, right? It's the intersection of the best of the digital, and then there's that value add. That's well, it's the rewind. It's the rewind. I mean, I think the pendulum, like to your point, it's like it's almost like it's trying to swing so far to the other side so fast, where the combination of technology's not there, market's not there. We did some some industry research. We're lucky enough to be part of this with another client recently, and in their target market, it was done by a group out of Toronto. Uh, it was for small businesses ordering these products um, for promotional items, and 40% of them still preferred to buy over the phone. Right. So, and this was a, you know, this is a market where you've got, it's basically e-commerce, like, true, like yeah, right. it's a business piece, there's a couple of nuances, but for the most part, it's, it's e-commerce, and it, it, it's fascinating to me that this industry went from, oh, we've got a, like a brochureware site, like most of these people that we're engaging now and winning, their sites haven't been touched for 11 years. Right. And then they're like, you know, they, in their mind, they're like, yeah, we need to be going chatbot and we need to be going all this buy online or all the way to the other side and we don't want to talk to anybody. It's like, right. oh, no, no, no. Like basic blocking and tackling. It, let's just get to some level of simple digital tactics right. and then back that up with good people on the phone and then we'll, yeah. so that's, that's you know. And, and who goes to the website? So you whip this thing up to the greatest Swiss Army knife ever made yeah. and it's going to do a wonderful job to that you know, three people that come to your site a year. If you don't have a strong, yeah. Right, and okay, so then you're gonna pay for people to come and you're not great at that, so you're gonna pay $8,000 per visitor. Yeah. Right? And you can go down this sort of road of problems and, and fun. Yeah. So, um, let's uh, let's talk about the too busy thing really quick, because you had a, an interesting line, and I, I think it's a good one, because it ties into sort of uh, some of the operations of the here. Yeah, you, you, you brought it up on the idea that you know, some of the people we talk to are, you know, they want to get into it, but they're too busy in the day to day, especially in this, you know, incredibly hard market. Mm -hmm. It's a point in time where we're seem to be working twice as hard, doing twice as many things for the exact same, you know, revenue and anchor brokerages all over the place dealing with, uh, you know, the stress levels on their front line and so on. So we're in a really busy time, mm -hmm. but it, the, the quote that's burned in, in my brain because I was called out on it, um, 
it was 2010, 12, somewhere in there, um, we had too many leads for the size of our company. So perspective-wise, we were just blown off our rocker. I think there was 30, 40 leads coming in to two people. <laughs> and nobody knew, did you call them, did you call them, did you call that one, did you call that back? And there's paper flying everywhere. And we went looking for a lead management software. And we found one, I entered into their pipeline, they started managing me, and the guy called me incessantly like a great salesperson. Mm -hmm. And I gave him the same lies. I, wasn't, I can't deal with a demo right now, I'm way too busy. And after you know a few times of hearing this from me, he concluded with, okay, man, like you can keep uh, you know chopping firewood here, or uh, you can let me know when you want to stop and sharpen your ax. And he hung up the phone. And I was so effing pissed and pissed and slammed. <laughs> God, is that right? Right. Yeah. We got the sales shortly after. Of, like we were just using this blunt instrument of a bad process. And you know, years later, we've we've since gotten off of that software, built our own software, and and we would never live a day without you know accurate, timely tracking on exactly what's happening per lead. Yeah. I think it's that you know, in, in many ways, people who we're talking to say, oh, it's you know, it's such a big risk to go ahead and do this and something that I'm not 100% clear or understand, not understanding that a bigger risk is actually not doing anything. Not They don't see it that way many times. It, it could be, and I don't think it's guaranteed that everyone's going to pull this off, right? Like, so if we take a, a, a simple example of, of winning the race in the arms race, we'll call it uh, being on the front page of Google. Mm -hmm. So Google's a great marketer and you go there. There's only 10 spots. Right. There's, right. What is it? Yeah. Three thousand, four thousand brokers, brokerages um, in Canada. They're competing for ten spots. So you got to decide pretty early: Are you going to win that? Are you going to win that on a hyper local area? Are you going to win that on a hyper niche area? Or are you going to fully win it on scale? And there's only going to be ten scale players, and really only three of those will matter. In the meaning, the top three spots get all of the real love from from Google. Um, so. You deciding on your particular strategy for your team, your business, your assets, and your skill sets. Um, it's fully appropriate to say yours might be niche. Can you? And I, I think there is this world of you're going to go for scale, or you're going to go for niche, or maybe some variation combo of that. Yeah. But car, don't follow the exact same playbook ten years later that someone else is winning on, and, and try and chase them down. Yeah, that is just not with a war chest. Yeah, yeah. Not, not with a war chest. Well, this has been, uh, I mean, we're at the 30 minute mark and I feel like it's time's been flying, but I mean, any, uh, any closing thoughts? I mean, we had, we had one more around sort of big trends. Um, any, anything that sticks out in your mind is like something that people should look out for or be, be, um, be thinking about for maybe 2020 as they're putting together their digital plan. Yeah. Um, the, that's not, not to be the most popular thing to say, but, um, I, I think we're gonna have to redefine um, what data means and who owns who owns data. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of insurance companies um, making a play to own the customer data and metrics and pieces to go through, and, and they want direct lines of communication through to your client. Mm -hmm. And those lines between partner and competitor are blurring awfully quickly. And, and making sure you don't put your brokerage onto a slippery slope to try and compete with a, a publicly traded entity that's going to have rather limitless money um, as to our, our, who's winning in this marketing brand play um, between, is it 
Are they being a partner or are they being a competitor? Broker contracts are dead silent on this, right? This, they were all written in a time where data, big data, whatever you want to call it, wasn't contemplated. Who, who owns this? Who can resell it? We all use a quoting engine in the industry that, you know, makes a good sum of money selling the data of what we're producing into there. Right. You know, and there's different things on, on apps and, you know, time on site and driving behaviors are all interesting points that I think is going to be an emerging trend of how do we deal with it. Yeah. Who, who actually owns the, the client? Owns the customer. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks for doing this, Adam. Appreciate cool. it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. See you next month, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Big show. You got it. Cool. Cheers, everyone. Thanks. Bye.